You know, John Artberg in his uh, book a number of years ago called The Life You Always Wanted has to do with spiritual disciplines, but he says that uh, uh, one, of the, one of the ways we need to make progress in our uh, Christian life is by putting ourselves in the way of the Holy Spirit. And uh, spiritual disciplines, of course, are a way to do that. Worship is one of those. And what we're going to be talking about this morning is the Holy Spirit and, and uh, the way we connect with the Holy Spirit and, and the way we position ourselves to allow the, the power of the Holy Spirit to, to work in our lives. And, uh, and worship is one way that we do that. It, it allows us to connect with God from spirit to spirit. And that's the rush that you feel when we worship together in, in uh, spirit. And when we declare the word of God together, it, it connects us with God. And it, and it transforms us in a, in a way that nothing else will do. Well, I'm going to talk about, I've got a one-part series going on today. <laughs> and, and so uh, when, when you preach only every once in a while, you kind of um, approach things differently. Mark, Mark will march through a, a book. And I'll try to sense from God what people need to hear and try to address a particular need. And so... Uh, We'll be, even though it says Romans 8 on your bulletin, we'll be jumping around in a number of different scriptures. Uh, Fortunately, it's on the screen because you you won't be able to turn pages that fast. Uh, But uh, we'll be looking at the the role of the Holy Spirit with regard to New Testament Christians and uh, what his role is, first of all, in our lives. And secondly, from a practical perspective, how can we walk in the Spirit? What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. I just sense that there's a gap there in terms of our, our understanding. Uh, so uh, before we begin that, let's ask the Holy Spirit to, to illuminate the Word and, and uh, teach us this morning. Dear Father, we thank you for this opportunity at this point in history, in this church, with this people of God, in this community. And we know that, uh, that you have predestined this time before the beginning of time. And we'd ask that you fill us this morning with your Holy Spirit, that you open our hearts and make us receptive to the truth of your word, and, and that you penetrate our hearts with your word, and that you transform us into the image of Jesus Christ, that, that you accomplish the unique purpose that you have for everyone here this morning through the power of your word and, and your spirit. And we ask these things in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, some of you may know that uh, in one of my previous lives, I was a state trooper. And I, I spent 26 years with the state police, retired back in 2000. And I was a, a trooper for about 10 years of that time before I went up through the ranks. And one of the places I worked was in Niles, Michigan down in the southwest corner of the state. You may or may not know that troopers are criminal investigators, and so we all carried a caseload. And uh, one of the cases that I was working on that particular day was an assault case where a, uh, a, a guy had, had beaten his girlfriend badly and uh, injured her badly, and, and I, I finally caught up with him, find out, found out where he was, and, and went to uh, interview him, have a chat with him. And... Uh, um, he let me in. We, we uh, talked for a little while about what had transpired. And I got to the place in the conversation where I, I said what, what we cops with our sick sense of humor used to say were the three most beautiful words in the English language. You're under arrest. 
Actually, uh, you know, that's supposed to be I love you, right? That's, that's, that's a romantic. With cops, it's you're under arrest. So I, I told this guy, uh, you know, you're under arrest. You're going to have to come with me. And uh, that's always a pivotal point in a conversation. <laughs> you, you never quite know what's going to happen after that. And so he started getting feisty. He was an obnoxious bully and uh, used to preying on, on weak people. And so uh, he, he made it clear that he wasn't going anywhere with me and he was going to fight with me. So I started shucking off my coat and my hat. And at the same time, I, uh, I, have a, I had a spiel that I gave people about how this was not a good idea and it was going to end badly for him and, and all of that. So I, I started all of that. At the same time, I recognized that a, there was a presence that came into the room behind me. Another person came into the room. And I knew it was a very big person because they blocked out most of the light from the doorway behind me. But I didn't turn around because I knew who it was. I, I knew his name was Al. And he's an African-American guy about uh, 6'4 and 265 pounds. And uh, when Al made his entrance like that, he, he always asked, in, into a situation like that, he always asked pretty much the same question. And, and that is, is there a problem? And, you know, that's not normally a rhetorical question, but when Al asked it, it always was. <laughs> and, and predictably, uh, this guy who was uh, obnoxious and aggressive just a few moments before uh, suddenly became very courteous and polite. And Al had that effect on people. And uh, so we were able to, to get him cuffed and, and uh, take him where he belonged without any additional difficulty. Now... Let me ask you a question. What if I'd said in that moment, hey, Al, um, you know, I got this. Don't worry about it. Uh, Why don't you just take a break? You know, go eat a donut or a box of nails or whatever you big guys eat (laughs) to get that big, and and I'll handle this. You'd probably say, Gary, that confirms what I've always suspected about you, that you're not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Because we all know that you you don't fight battles, you don't have to fight, right? And... Let me turn that around on you and ask you, in our lives as Christians, why do we insist on fighting battles that we don't have to fight, that God never intended for us to fight? You see, sometimes the way we live is that we think it's okay, perfectly acceptable to uh, accept God's grace at the point of salvation because we recognize that we can't meet God's perfect standard of holiness and righteousness. So we say, uh, we'll accept the gift, uh, the sacrifice that your son made for us, and, and we'll come to faith in Jesus Christ. But once we're saved, uh, we, tend, we tend sometimes to act as if it's, it's somehow a do-it-yourself project from there on in. Somehow transformation into the image of Jesus Christ is something we have to work hard at ourselves. And uh, accomplishing the particular mission, the unique mission that God has given us as an individual is, is something that we have to figure out ourselves. And, and that's not what God intended at all. And, and in fact, um, sometimes we work hard at becoming better people by trying harder and by uh, you know, trying hard not to, to uh, sin or, or by attending more religious activities. Uh, but none of it seems to work. And so we get discouraged and we feel guilty because uh, of our lack of desire for the things of God or persistent patterns of sin that we dragged around for years, or prayerlessness, or, or no progress in becoming more like Christ. We feel like we're at the same place we were 
five years ago, or the lack of any noticeable fruit in our lives that will matter for eternity. We get discouraged about that kind of stuff. We think we're not working hard enough, so sometimes we redouble our efforts. But we feel like we're running in cement sometimes. One of my favorite expressions, running in cement, not making any progress. Why is it so hard? After all, Jesus said, uh, you know, come to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Why doesn't it feel light sometimes? Well, I, I think the answer for some of us is that sometimes we're trying to live a life that's pleasing to God in our own strength and on the basis of our own human capabilities, and that's something that God never intended us to do. Tony Evans, the, uh, the fellow that we're studying with, with uh, the men's study downstairs, um, in his book, uh, Victory and Spiritual Warfare, says this, Religion tries to get us to access grace through works. Religion will kill you because it will try to get you to earn what we've already been given freely. You know, Christianity is the only world religion that is based on grace. All others are a system of somehow appeasing a God. Christianity is the only one that is based on a free gift from God to the rest of us. God always intended it. His grace would not only save us once and for all, but that it would save us every day. You see, and that the Holy Spirit would empower our lives every day uh, to live in a way that is uh, Christ-like, to live in a way that is a different kind of a life that we couldn't live on the basis of our, our human capabilities. And that's why I think there's a gap in our understanding sometimes uh, of uh, who the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is and what role he's supposed to have in our lives. So what is his role in our lives? Uh, first of all, he draws us to Christ. Excuse me. Larry, did you turn down the heat? I, I just shut the furnace right off. Everybody agree? Okay. Yeah, I see people fanning themselves. It's, it's warm in here. Um, the Holy Spirit draws us to Christ. Jesus said himself, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the, the Holy Spirit draws people to Christ. Without the Holy Spirit's enlightenment, the gospel seems like so much gobbledygook to people. It seems like foolishness to the natural man. And that's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolish and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. And that's why you can't argue people into the kingdom. Have you had this experience where you try to you make the case for faith and somebody looks at you like they're uh, deer in the headlights. They just don't seem to comprehend. And, and that is because um, a person will never be brought to faith on the basis of rational arguments. The groundwork will be laid sometimes. And that's why it's important. Yes, it is important to, to be able to, to speak to the evidence for the existence of God. It's important to be able to speak to the, the evidence for the resurrection and for the authenticity and the reliability of Scripture. But those things, uh, they may be on the path to lead somebody to faith. But ultimately, it's a spiritual transaction. The Holy Spirit has to open up a person's heart to be able to see the truth of the gospel, and it penetrates their heart in such a way that there's a revelation. The light comes on, and they come to faith in, in Jesus Christ. The most effective strategy, folks, is this, to pray that the Holy Spirit will do his work. I've seen this happen again and again and again. One family member comes to faith in Jesus Christ. They begin praying for other family members. Pretty soon they start toppling like dominoes. 
and, and the Holy Spirit does his work throughout the whole family. But, but continue to pray for that prodigal. Pray that the Holy Spirit would do his work, penetrate their hearts, and, uh, and open them up to the, the truth of the gospel. We know we're praying in the will of God because God's not willing that any should perish, right? We know about that. So we can pray along those lines and God will bring them to faith. Sometimes it takes years. Sometimes it takes decades. But God will honor that prayer and he will bring them to faith. The Holy Spirit regenerates us and makes us new creations in Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul wrote to Titus and reminded him of this. He said, When the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Regeneration is the same thing as being born again, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. And that's why Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I don't know if you've ever been, had the privilege of uh, leading somebody to Christ, but there, there are occasions when you do that and you can see the new life come into them. You can see the Holy Spirit take up residence and, and the tears run down their face and the joy that they feel and the lifting of the burden that they felt before and the peace that comes into their lives. They're, they're transformed sometimes before your eyes uh, when they come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's because the Holy Spirit takes up residence. When we're regenerated, uh, we have the capacity to connect with God uh, for the first time. A person who is without Christ, does not have the Holy Spirit living within them, is dead to spiritual things. When uh, the Holy Spirit comes into our spirit and takes up residence, occupies our spirit, it's like somebody uh, opened up the communication line to God. We have the capacity to communicate spirit to spirit with God. I like to think of it like OnStar. How many of you OnStar in your cars? You press the button, suddenly a voice fills the car. Where did that come from? It, it's like uh, when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Suddenly they had the spiritual capacity to communicate directly with God, and the Holy Spirit begins uh, revelation, begins uh, speaking to them directly uh, through, their, through their spirit. So the Holy Spirit indwells us and seals us as the guarantee of eternal life. Um, now it's God who makes it both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal on, of ownership on us, put his spirit in our hearts, as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come, a deposit or a, a down payment. So two things happen in that passage. Number one, the Holy Spirit becomes that seal, that guarantee of things to come. And, and also, and that seal of ownership that says, that says uh, when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, when Christ comes into our lives, God is saying, I own that person. Paul tells us we've been bought with a price. We're owned by God from there on in. The other thing that happens is the Holy Spirit is the down payment. Uh, God tells us that we have an inheritance in heaven, uh, spiritual blessings in Jesus Christ that are waiting for us, and the Holy Spirit is the down payment on, that, on those blessings, on that inheritance that God has for us. So he takes up residence in our life, and one of the other things he does is he comforts us in hardship and difficulty. Uh, a couple weeks ago, some of you are aware probably that my wife's uh, mom passed away after an extended illness. Now, Jean and her mom were real close, and she died on a Monday, and Jean uh, was with her when she died, and next morning we were in the funeral home in Grand Rapids uh, going over the arrangements there, and 
almost simultaneously, God comforted us. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is going to come to you as a comforter. And uh, almost simultaneously, the Holy Spirit comforted us with the picture of uh, Jean's mom being reunited with a daughter she never knew. Uh, Jean had an older sister, three years older, born about 65 years ago, and lived only four days. She was an RH baby, and they didn't know what to do with RH babies in that day. A lot of them died. And uh, this uh, little girl's name was Karen, and, and she died at only four days of age. And uh, what the Holy Spirit comforted us was with the picture of Jean's mom who couldn't move and could hardly breathe when she died, suddenly fully alive in heaven and reunited with this daughter, Karen, whom she'd only known for four days. And, and that, that reunion that happened after 65 years. Well, what, a, what a precious memory that uh, the Holy Spirit gave us to comfort us. I've got a couple verses for you that you can use in your ministry to the people around you. Because you have the Holy Spirit living inside you, because you're a child of God, uh, people will sense a certain life in you. And so they will come to you at, in the workplace or wherever it is when they're in trouble. You'll have the opportunity to, to speak into their life and perhaps even pray with them words of comfort and peace. The first one is uh, Romans 15, 13, which is one of my favorites. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So our God is the God of hope, and he gives us his supernatural joy and peace through his Holy Spirit as we trust in him. What a tremendous promise. That's one that you can pray back to God for people, or that you can put your hand on their shoulder and say, uh, listen, can I just pray with you a minute about what you're going through? And ask God to give you his peace about that and to work it out. Here's another one. Be anxious for nothing. Give your anxiety to God. Give your worries to God, in other words. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. It's not human peace. It's not human joy. It is supernatural joy that God gives you at this moment. The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Those are two tremendous promises that uh, you can share. What God promises us is that he will trade our worries for his supernatural peace and joy if we will trust in him. The next thing the Holy Spirit does is illumine God's word to us. One thing we have to understand about God's word is it is not a normal book. It is not a textbook. It is not a, a spy novel. It is not a do-it-yourself manual uh, like many of the books we read. It is unique among all the books of mankind in, in the sense that it is living and powerful and it is transformational when, when we spend time in it. Um, and that's what we're told in Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active. It's alive. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life in you. Uh, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So that the Bible is the primary tool that the Holy Spirit uses to shape our thinking and our actions, to change our life, in other words, transform our lives. But the spiritual truths in the Bible cannot be understood apart from the influence of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's illumination. Paul says this in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 2, where he says, Now we've, we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that is the Holy Spirit, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths 
to those who are spiritual. In other words, you can understand some things because you have the Spirit of God living in you that other people will not be able to understand. He has a capacity to communicate with you. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Some of you know uh, Fred Mitchell. Fred, are you here this morning? Fred Mitchell is a delightful guy in his mid-80s who is a brilliant man, world-renowned medical scholar. Uh, some of the folks who are physicians here have studied under him. He, he was a pro uh, professor for many years in the College of Osteopathic Medicine. Fred will tell you the story of how he came to faith. He was an atheist for the first 70 years of his life. And uh, he was a man of science, believed that science, science was God to him. And if you couldn't prove it scientifically, it didn't, it didn't exist. That was Fred's position. But his wife, Carol, was a... His wife, Carol, was a believer in Christ. And uh, she was reading her Bible one day in her devotions, and, and she said, uh, and, and Fred said to her mockingly, um, what are you reading that for? You know it's just a bunch of myths, don't you? And she said, how would you know? You've never read it. <laughs> so she issued the challenge, and he took her up on it. Famous last words for an atheist. The Spirit of God worked in his heart and he came to faith in Jesus Christ at 70 years old. And uh, now uh, he, he's an apologist for the faith. He's a, a brilliant man and he applied his investigative skills to the uh, truth of Scripture. And when I spoke to him the first time about that investigation, he said, I said, well, what, what convinced you? He said, well, it's indisputable. The evidence is indisputable. That, that's, that's, the way, that's the way he talks. Uh, but he came, came to faith in Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit opened the truth of Scripture to him and he was able to see it for the first time when he was 70 years old. Let me tell you something else. There was somebody praying for him. There always is. Always somebody praying that the, that the, the heart would open up that they'd see the things of, uh, that they'd see the truth in the Word. The Holy Spirit teaches us spiritual truth by revelation beyond our five senses. Don't get stuck in the place where a lot of people are in the secular world that think that if you can't apprehend it through your five senses, it doesn't exist. The Holy Spirit uh, teaches us things in our spirit in, uh, through the Word of God that we cannot comprehend or we cannot apprehend uh, through our five senses. You come to know things. Um, for example, Paul says our, our, this, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He gives, us, he gives us an assurance in our hearts. We know it's true. Uh, we just can't say how we learned it. It's because the Holy Spirit gave it to us as, as, a, as a revelation. The Holy Spirit will also give you wisdom and insight into life situations. This isn't just about church on Sunday morning. It's about all of life. The Holy Spirit will make you uh, wise and give you understanding into human situations that you would not otherwise have when you ask him to do that. And many times uh, before a difficult meeting, when I was in the secular workplace in high-stress high jobs, I, I would ask God to go ahead of me into that meeting. And, and he will do that. And, and he will resolve situations sometimes in ways that, that we can't. The Holy Spirit also empowers our prayers to accomplish God's purposes in our life. Jennifer Kennedy Dean's book, Live a Praying Life, is one of my favorite books on prayer. She says this, Your prayers will never do anything except release God's power for God's purposes. On the other hand, your prayers will always release God's power for God's purposes. 
And the answer may not be immediately apparent. The answer may not be exactly what we expect. But be confident of this, that when you pray, God releases his power into that situation to accomplish his purposes in his timing. So the Holy Spirit helps us with what to pray for and and how to pray in line with the will of God. He says in, uh, in Romans 8, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So the Holy Spirit not only teaches us how to pray, but he intercedes directly for us. Sometimes you'll be driving down the road and somebody will come to mind. Somebody that's uh, in difficulty, somebody that you know, and uh, that may be the Holy Spirit sending you a message that you need to pray for that person right now. That, that's how he works. He alerts us to things. If we're attentive to his leading, he'll alert us to things uh, that we need to pray about so that God can release his power into that situation and accomplish his purpose. The Holy Spirit teaches us to use prayer and the word of God as spiritual weapons as, as well. He says in 2 Corinthians 10, For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. What are those strongholds? Sometimes spiritual strongholds in a person's life have to do with sin or or the devil's influence in in a person's life. Sometimes a, a man will... Uh, wake up one morning and decide he's going to leave his wife and, and child. And uh, it's, be, it's, it's because uh, he succumbs to temptation and, and, uh, and Satan is trying to destroy that family. You can pray against that. And, and God will destroy Satan's plans and, and destroy that stronghold and those opinions that he has. God will work from the inside out to change his heart and turn him back to his family. Those are the kinds of things you can accomplish with spiritual warfare. Other people that you know and love who are far from God. You can pray into that situation. And you can ask, ask uh, God to destroy the delusions and the deception that Satan has set up that block that person from understanding the truth of the gospel. And, and God will do that. He'll take it away so that their heart opens up and they understand and they can come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's what spiritual warfare is all about. Our spiritual weapons are prayer, faith, the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God. Those four things. That, that's the sword that we swing. Let me give you some examples of answered prayer a minute. And I, I kind of wrestled with myself all week about this because I, I, didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to appear that it was all about me. I'm a very ordinary guy. Just like I struggle with all the same stuff you folks do. But I wanted you to see that God answers the prayer of ordinary people. And he will answer these same kinds of prayers for you. How many of you were at the church picnic back in July? Actually, 210 of you were there because we counted. Remember that uh, there was bad weather forecast for that afternoon? And in fact, there was a storm line that was headed right down toward uh, Hazlitt. I, I have one of these little gadgets on my phone, the Rainy Days app on your phone, you know, where you can bring it up and you see the, the map and all that. There was a big line of thunderstorms that was headed toward uh, Hazlitt at that time. And you remember, if you were there, that uh, when I get up on a picnic table and, and prayed blessing on the food, and I also asked God to withhold the weather but, so that we could have our picnic together. And, and I also asked him to, we needed the rain. So I said, you know, once when we're done, bring it on. <laughs> if you remember, we all had a laugh about that. 
And then somebody at the table mentioned a casual comment to me about that, and I said, you know, that's not the first time that, I, that I've seen this happen. And uh, I, I continue to watch on, on my app after I prayed for God to withhold the weather. And that storm front that was coming down from the, the northwest, uh, southeast, passing right over Hazlitt, uh, split. And it continued on on the north. It continued on on the south. But th- there was a hole in that storm front that passed over Hazlitt, and God withheld the rain. If some of you were there about 8 o'clock when I finally pulled out of the parking lot, it started to rain at that time. Now, that's not, I said that's not the first time that's happened. You know, when we were with a bunch of guys at uh, Rosalie Valutis' house spreading mulch a few months before that, uh, when I left my driveway that morning on a Saturday, when I left my driveway that morning, it was black. It was as black as I've ever seen it in the West. And I thought, oh boy, here we go. There's a thunderstorm coming. I had all these guys come to do work at our house. And I just prayed, Lord, will you withhold the weather, please? Because we've got this work to do. It's, it's, you know, it's kingdom work. We're going to be working for this widow. I'd ask that you withhold the weather and, and, uh, and let us do our work. Well, we got there. Again, we get gathered around with the guys, and, and we, we uh, just prayed that God would keep us safe and, and also that he would withhold the weather. And he did. We worked about an hour and a half. But then at one point, it started to sprinkle a little bit. And I, I looked at Larry Brown, and he looked at me, and, and I just stopped and prayed. I said, Lord, your, your name is on the line here. You know, I think you have to pray boldly. Your name is on the line here. I, I said, we just prayed in front of a dozen guys that you would withhold the weather, and I, I'm going to ask you to do that so that we can finish this work. And, and uh, the rain stopped. And that's not, that's not the first time. Now you can say, well, that's, that's coincidence, Gary, you know. And be careful with that because that's unbelief and that will limit the, the ability of the Holy Spirit to work in your life if, if, uh, if you have that, that kind of unbelief. I, I think God answers those kinds of prayers for us when we're about his business. I'm not talking about opening up the Sears catalog and picking out what you want. It isn't about that. It, it is about accomplishing God's purposes. And Jesus said, uh, when you, uh, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will and it will be done for you. John 15, 7. What... What uh, part of that don't we understand? What part of that is not clear? Here, here's here's uh, another one. Um, this happens around here quite a bit. One particular week, uh, Debbie Wright was planning a big uh, deal on the weekend for the children's ministry. And about Tuesday, and again, this happens to the rest of us as well, but on Tuesday she said, I, you know, I don't feel well. I got a scratchy throat and I'm stuffed up and oh no, I, I just can't deal with this this week because... Uh, I've got this big thing coming up on the weekend. And, and I said, well, let me just pray with you about that a minute. And put my hand on her shoulder, and I just prayed that God would take it away. I said, Lord, I think Satan's trying to disrupt ministry here, what Debbie's trying to do this weekend, and I just ask that you take it away. And uh, I saw her the next morning. I said, how are you doing? She said, I feel great. No problem. Never came back. God took it away. And that, that happens all the time. Just one more, and then I'll quit. I talked with a mom uh, not long ago whose daughter got herself in some legal trouble. And uh, she was going before a judge. This judge had a reputation as being a, a very tough judge. He sentenced people to jail all the time. And, and she said, uh, you know, I, I'm not trying to get her off the hook. I just I, I want him to balance justice with mercy. And, and uh, so I said, well, let's just pray about that. And so we prayed, we prayed together that, that her daughter would experience the judge's favor, that the, the judge would show her favor, that he would balance justice and mercy, but that he would show her favor the next day when she appeared in front of that judge. I saw her a couple days later. I said, well, what happened? She said, you'll never believe it. She said, this judge uh, got a report from his pre-sentence investigator that recommended jail time. 
And, uh, and when he, it came time for sentencing, her daughter was standing in front of him. The judge said, I don't know why I'm doing this. I've never done this before. But he completely disregarded the recommendation of his pre-sentence investigator, and, and he, didn't censor, he didn't sentence her to jail time. And when he said that, when he said, I don't know why I'm doing this. I've never done this before. The uh, mom said, I know why you're doing it. It's because God is giving my daughter favor before this judge because we prayed. You see, that's how God wants to work in our lives all the time. He, he longs to demonstrate his power in our lives in the ordinary things of life, folks. But too often we turn it into a do-it-yourself project. And we, and we try to handle it ourselves and it, and it ends badly sometimes. So the Holy Spirit also equips us with the abilities necessary to carry out God's assignments. Uh, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 that... Uh, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and, and still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Folks, we all have an assignment. We all have a unique assignment from God, a mission that, that he desires for us to accomplish with the, the other people in our lives, both within the church and, and outside the church. The, the, the uh, spiritual gifts are, are given uh, to grow up the body of Christ in, into maturity and to minister to each other in the body of Christ. Unfortunately, too often, we rest on our natural abilities, what we call our natural abilities. We think we're good at this or we're good at that. And the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit, the supernatural gifts the Holy Spirit wants to manifest here in every one of us don't get a chance to come out because we're relying on our natural abilities. And a lot of that is because we're not obedient in, in taking up the assignment that God has for us. If you don't know how God wants you to serve, if you don't know what ministry or what mission he has for you right now, ask him and he will make that clear to you. And when you take that first step of obedience... Uh, he will manifest those gifts and he will make you capable to do whatever he's calling you to do. Some of you this morning here have the gift of healing. Some of you have the gift of faith and you can believe God for great things and he will answer your prayers and, and those things will actually become a reality. Some of you are, are intercessors. Some of you have the gift of service. Uh, many times it will be something that you did not anticipate, that you don't think you have the natural ability for. You think the Apostle Peter... Uh, had the natural ability to be a world-class preacher? Absolutely not. He was a blue-collar guy who gutted fish for a living. That's what he did. God, God can turn you into whatever he needs you to be for what he's called you to do. And, and we need to ask him, what is it that you need me to do, Lord? And then reveal those, those gifts in me. The Holy Spirit is the, is the gift. And he doesn't give us those gifts like decorations to wear around like merit badges that we can be proud of and use like magic tricks. No, he, he gives us those things to accomplish his purposes. So ask God what those, what those are for you. What he, wants us to do is, is, what he wants to do is demonstrate the power of God through us as a church, as individuals, in such a way that people will say, wow, a human being couldn't have done that. That has to be the power of God. And they'll be drawn to Jesus Christ because of it. That's what happened in the Acts 2 church. And that's what needs to happen here as well. The Holy Spirit transforms us over time into the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, just 
Hang with me a few minutes more, folks. I realize that uh, this is a little longer than usual, but I already checked at Culver's, and there's no cheeseburger famine. So you're, you're, you're okay. Hang with me just a few more minutes. The Holy Spirit transforms us over time into the image of Jesus Christ. Once we come to faith, God's intention for us is to transform us into the likeness of His Son. And He tells us that in Romans 8, 28 and 29. He says, We know that for, all, for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And what, what God's telling us there is that not that bad stuff won't happen to us, because it will as believers. We see it around us all the time. Uh, we, we get sick, we have accidents, all the other things that happen to everybody else happens to us. The unique promise that we have as believers in Jesus Christ is that whatever happens to us, it, it's, not, it's not beyond God's notice. He pays attention to every small detail in our lives. He knows everything that happened to us, and we have his promise that he will turn it for good. He will turn it for good in our lives. Now, good doesn't mean our comfort and our convenience necessarily. There, there are times of suffering. But good means that he, he will uh, use it to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ, his son, and he will use it for his larger kingdom purposes very often in the lives of those people around us. That why, that's why it, it matters so much uh, how we suffer. Paul says that there are three components in, uh, in who we are as, uh, as created beings. First of all, he says in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're made up of a spirit and a soul and our body. The spirit is a part of us that connects directly with God that was dead and we became uh, believers in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit took up residence in our spirit. The, the holy and righteous uh, Christ in all of his perfection is resident within your spirit right now if, if you're a child of God. Our soul is the human part of us. Our, our intellect and our, and our emotion and our, our will and our body is kind of the physical vehicle that we drive around with, interact with each other and, and touch the earth. This is the reason why, why transformation is so hard. You see, before we came to faith, uh, we drove the bus using our intellect, emotion, and will. We decided what happened from day to day uh, based on what we thought about or how we felt that morning when we got up. I feel like doing this. I don't feel like going here. Or um, in terms of our will, I, I want to do this. It's all about me, and I want to do this, so this is what I'm going to do without, without regard to anybody else. Well, when the Holy Spirit comes into our spirit and begins to exert God's rule in every area of our lives, we push back, don't we? And we say, well, wait a minute, I don't feel like doing that. I don't feel like getting up 20 minutes early to spend time in the Word of God. I'd rather sleep in, or whatever it is. And, and so uh, there's that conflict, and, and Paul talks about that. He says there's a, there's a tug of war. Uh, when the Holy Spirit enters us and he takes up residence in us, he, he gives us instructions like this, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what's good and acceptable and perfect. But there's this tug of war. 
Paul describes that in Romans 7 where he says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I have the desire to do what's right in my spirit, but not the ability to carry it out in my human nature. You see the conflict? And God's prescription for that is, is brokenness. Brokenness. Breaking our intellect and emotion and will until every area of our life is yielded to him. He exerts his rule over every area of our life. Watchman Nee, that great Chinese preacher of the 40s and 50s in, in China, uh, wrote the book, uh, one of the books, uh, Release of the Spirit. What he, what he says in there is, you know, our life is like that. Remember the story in Matthew 26 about the alabaster jar where the woman brought the, uh, the expensive alabaster jar of perfume to Simon the leper's house where Jesus was dining and, and she had to break that alabaster jar, the beautiful expensive jar. She had to break it in, in order to release the much more expensive and much more precious fragrance inside so that she could anoint, anoint the Savior before his crucifixion. What Watchman Nee says is, we're like that alabaster jar. We have to be broken in order to release the fragrance of Christ that, that is within us to the world, you see? And, and so that breaking process is, is painful sometimes. Sometimes we fall in love with the jar, don't we? We fall in love with the jar and we don't want to be broken and we delay the progress of, uh, of God in our, our lives. So God uses hardship and difficulty as his chisel to chip away at our old man and, and reveal Christ within us to the world around us. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, God loves us, so he makes us the gift of suffering. Through suffering, we release our hold on the toys of this world and know that our true good lies in another world. We're like blocks of stone out of which the sculptor carves the forms of men. The blows of his chisel, which hurt so much, are what make us perfect. The suffering in this world is not the failure of God's love for us. It is that love in action. For, believe me, the world that seems to us so substantial is no more than the shadowlands. Real life has not yet begun. The goal is ultimately to reveal Christ in us and and he's already present in our spirit. Well, how do we live lives filled and controlled and empowered by the Holy Spirit? First of all, we need to, to learn to walk in the Spirit. Paul says, But I, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. You know, I've got a, an ESV text note that tells us what it means to walk in the Spirit. It says this, The only way to conquer the flesh is to yield to the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit implies both direction and empowerment, that is, making decisions and choices according to the Holy Spirit's guidance and acting with the spiritual power that the Spirit supplies. Led by the Spirit implies an active personal involvement by the Holy Spirit in, in guiding Christians. And what it means is being constantly attentive to the work of the Holy Spirit around us. And uh, some of you are already attentive in, in that way. You recognize when, when God intrudes into your life. Have you ever bumped into somebody at random, random, and realized in the process that it was kind of a, a divine appointment? Debbie Wright just had this happen a week or so ago. She was in Kroger and going through the automatic checkout, and uh, the machine malfunctioned for some reason, so she had to call a clerk over to, to help her with it. She was, of course, it's a nuisance because you're trying to get your, your things done, and uh, but anyway, she recognized partway through that that the clerk engaged her in conversation and, 
and it got into, got into spiritual things, she had an opportunity to invite her to church at New Hope. She recognized that that was a divine appointment that, that may change the whole trajectory of that person's life. God does that with us all the time. There are no coincidences for the child of God. Every interaction that you have is a divine appointment. And uh, God in, intends for us to be attentive to his Holy Spirit and respond. Uh, learning to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You, you know, there's a difference between indwelling and being filled. We're all indwelt by the Holy Spirit at the point of salvation. The Holy Spirit remains with us for eternity as God's uh, down payment, as his seal. But to be filled means to be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit repeatedly over time. That's where our power comes from. We're commanded to be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5 where Paul says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. The Greek word means continuously and repeatedly filled with the Spirit. Speaking to each other with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music to your heart, from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Uh, Jesus promised that we would receive the Holy Spirit if we ask Him, and we can ask Him on a continuing basis, on a daily basis, that for Him to fill us with His Holy Spirit so that we're attentive, so that we're empowered to accomplish what He has for us in the challenges of that day. We have to ask God for that and be willing to yield control of our life to the Spirit and to His leading. And, and it also involves confession and repentance. The biggest obstacle to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives is unconfessed sin. And so we, we need to make use of that promise in 1 John 1, 9 where he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and we need to exercise that promise every day and keep short accounts with God. Confess our, our sins and, and obtain forgiveness from him so that we can operate in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Then we also need to choose what we think about. Our culture says we can't control our thinking. And even if we could, it doesn't matter because it doesn't affect what we do. We, we know that that's not the case. Paul tells us to, to focus our thoughts on the things of God. He says we can change the way we live by changing where we focus our minds. He says in uh, Colossians 3, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Uh, a way to do that, a way to put yourself in the way of the Holy Spirit is to immerse yourself in, in the Word of God, the music of God, and thoughts about God. Somebody says, well, how much time do I need to spend in the Word of God? Well, that depends. The, the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. How big do you want your sword to be? Do you want your sword to be this big? Or do you want your sword to be this big? If I'm going to be doing battle with the, the forces of darkness, if I'm going to be engaged in spiritual warfare, I don't know about you, but I want a big honking sword like this one. <laughs> exactly. Yes, all, all you little boys can come up and look at this at the, end of the, at the end of the message. My suggestion is that you begin every morning with a brief quiet time. I put steps in your, in your study notes. Be sure you get a copy of those. There are some quotes in there you'll, you'll want to look at as well. Ask God in prayer to reveal himself to you in the scripture. Read expectantly for something that he's going to communicate to you, something he's going to highlight. Jot a brief note. 
as to its application and pray that God will impress that truth on your heart. You can confess sin at the same time. I'm going to suggest that you memorize Scripture as well, just because it's a way of putting yourself in the way of the Holy Spirit. Memorizing and meditating on, on Scripture, putting the thoughts of God in, in your thoughts. You say, well, I can't memorize things. You don't think God can empower you to memorize Scripture? Absolutely He can. That's a small thing for God. Anybody, don't think on a human level. Think about God's capabilities and ask God for the capability that you need. Uh, there are some great Christian books that allow us to stand on the shoulders of other, other uh, believers, other people who have gone before us and are further down the road than we are spiritually. And finally, for you geeks, there's all kinds of technology out there. Um, I've got an Android phone. Some of you have iPhones. Either, either kind of smartphone. They're all, how many of you have Bibles on your phones right now? Yeah, they're easy to get. It keeps the Word of God with you all the time. You're 10 minutes in the doctor's office. You can, you can read a chapter in the Word of God. Uh, you can also download, I found you can download Christian books, uh, audio and, uh, and Kindle books and, and um, whatever else you need. You can listen to praise music. You can rake the leaves while you listen to praise and worship music. And you can have a worshipful time uh, with the, the Spirit of God while you're, while you're doing that. Folks, everything that God wants us to accomplish, both in our lives and the lives of those in the world around us whom he's called us to minister to, it hangs on our willingness to become filled and empowered on a regular basis by the Spirit of God. So let's not miss that opportunity. Let's pray together. I'm going to pray for you out of Ephesians uh, chapter 3, the same prayer that, that Paul prayed uh, to open up the hearts of the Ephesian believers to the Holy Spirit. He said, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family on heaven and earth is, uh, derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Folks, uh, for some of you that want to go a little further in your understanding of, of how to engage with the Holy Spirit, and see him demonstrate his power in your life. This is a book by Henry Blackaby called Experiencing the Spirit, and we've got a supply of them out in the lobby that Larry will sell you one if you're, if you're interested in that. Thank you for your time today, and I'm, I'm uh, going to be praying for you that the Holy Spirit will, will uh, bless you.